there are many times when um, something tragic happens in the news or in a nation and I, I don't know how to cope with it or understand it or who to fully blame for it. It's, it's often easy to put God on trial. Say, why God? As if he owes me an answer for why the suffering is in this world. But as I sing this song, and as we remember what it is that he did for us in Jesus, I can almost imagine that scene in my mind where I've put him on trial and there is Jesus sitting on trial. I'm like, what are you doing? And, and accusing him of allowing these things to happen. And he looks at me and he says, I understand your pain. I understand your pain because I went through it. I suffered too. I didn't leave myself removed from this broken world. I came into it out of love for you which may sound crazy to anybody else, but if you knew the kind of love that I have for you, you would understand why I would come. That I would love you so much that I would give my life for you. That I would suffer for you. And even though we sit here and try to condemn God, he doesn't point the finger and try to condemn back. He extends his grace. He says, man, I... I'm going to teach you how to have a heart like mine. But first, I need you to understand that even as you condemn me, I love you. And that love is meant to melt us. As we just sang, it's meant to melt us. It's meant to bring us to our knees into a place of saying, I'm so sorry, I never knew. Realizing what he did to call us his own to bring us into his family. And though our human minds can't comprehend all of God's reasons and ways and the grand scheme of human history, all that he is doing, one thing we can know is what he was willing to go through out of love for us. And that's our hope. That's what gets us off the stand and brings us into his arms and brings us back into relationship with him, one of love, one of hope. So Lord, forgive me for the times that I've put you on the stand. And I've demanded that you give an answer, that I've played judge and made you try to, insisted that you give an answer to me. But God, what's, blows me away. I don't know what word to use right now. What just boggles my mind is the way that even when I have accused you, the way you returned love back to me. I think about my, the times my own kids have accused me of doing something wrong. and <laughs> I, I get angry fast. And, and Lord, but you return with love and grace. And it is your mercy that leads me toward repentance toward your arms, toward a relationship again with you.
And so, Lord, we just praise you and thank you for your marvelous love. We, we run to you in this moment of grief, not away from you. And we ask that you would surround us and fill us and cover us and, and, and remind us daily of the God that you are. Let's just sing that chorus one more time. There's no more. As we open up God's Word together, um, as many of you know, we've been in this series uh, going through this Old Testament book called Ecclesiastes. Um, a very different kind of book than what you may be used to if you've read a lot of the Bible before. Um, but it's a book that packs wisdom um, that I didn't realize how much I needed until I started really studying this. I found that this book scratches an area of my soul that I didn't even know was itching. Um, and, uh, and so I hope uh, it's been nourishing for you. You know, we've been five weeks in it. This is week six. And it's always so interesting to me. You know, we plan out these sermon series, uh, you know, months in advance, thinking through what we're going to cover different weekends. But we can't tell the future. Uh, and so we just put different passages at different weeks that we want to cover and talk through with you guys. And the passage for this week Given all the events that are going on around us and that it's Memorial Day weekend, is way more fitting than I ever thought it would be. Um, and, and as I was studying it and preparing for this weekend, I was like, my goodness, God, like, you, your providence, <laughs> you, you know what you're doing. <laughs> God knows what he's doing. And so we're going to dive into this together. Um, and while it's this beautiful day outside and a beautiful weekend and Memorial Day is you know, what we tend to think about is barbecues and sunshine and parades. Um, we're actually going to talk about somewhat of a heavy topic today. And I'll be honest with you. Like, what you're going to hear today is the result of me fumbling through and colliding with Ecclesiastes 7. Sometimes we open God's Word and we're like, oh man, it's so clear and, and, and it just applies so well. Sometimes we feel like we're just like, I... I think I understand this. I've studied it a lot, but now, like applying it, I'm I'm definitely in process, guys. 
I'm in process. Like the, the passage that we're going to be talking about today um, deals a lot with the topic of death. Something that's very real to us this particular Memorial Day weekend. But I don't want to talk about it. I don't like it. Right? Because like, I don't always know what to do with the emotions that come with it. And they're heavy. I'd much rather turn on the TV, turn on Facebook, Instagram, anything else for a dopamine hit. To, so I can like, escape the feelings of sadness that come with it. Anybody else with me in here? I'd much rather, you know, shove it down, get stuff done, instead of actually dealing with a lot of the emotion that comes with topics like this. If, if I'm straight with you guys, like, <laughs> I've even thought, preparing this message, I was like, man, Kirk, you should have started with a funny story today. You, <laughs> like, no one wants this heaviness. But it is the cultural moment we're in right now. And God's word speaks to all moments. And his word endures forever. And so I want to unpack this with you guys um, in this series called Search for Meaning. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes 7 today. You know, so far in Ecclesiastes, uh, if you've been following it with us, it says over and again that if you want to control life, well, fat chance, right? Like, like trying to control everything in life right now here is a lot like chasing the wind or trying to grab after smoke. And there's nothing like grief or the heaviness or the reality of death that reminds us how out of control we are. And when we read Ecclesiastes 7 in just a moment, it may initially sound to you like a bunch of unrelated just statements that come together, but there actually is a common thread binding them all together, and it is this, that the reality of death teaches us wisdom for how to live. I know it's heavy, and as Christians, we know that death is not how it's supposed to be, but it is our present reality. But before we try to, try to turn off Ecclesiastes and turn on the Celtics, and try to forget everything else. Ecclesiastes says, hold up, wait, just wait, wait, wait here just a second. Because I got some wisdom that you can gain by looking at it. He's not saying death is a good thing. No, 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 no. But he is saying by looking and facing the reality of it, it actually gives us wisdom for how to live today, right now. And so we're in Ecclesiastes 7 starting verse 1 and going to verse 18. And as I, what I hope to communicate today is I want us to see how the reality of death teaches us what matters most, how to go through the struggle, and who is truly in control. Ecclesiastes 7. It's page 543 in the Blue Bibles in front of you if you want to... 1041? Do you have one of our Bibles? Oh, thank you. Caroline, I appreciate your helpfulness. You are very helpful. <laughs> now, we were Ecclesiastes 7, 543. All right, 543. I love you, Caroline. All right, let me pray, and then we will jump right in to read it together. Jesus, um, what we're about to read is, man, at times it feels a little confusing. <laughs> 
somewhat random, perhaps, when we initially read this, but I see the way that your word has really challenged my own life, what I focus on, what, I, what really matters to me, and how I walk through struggle. It's really challenged me this week, and it's still challenging me in this moment. And so I pray, God, though, that, that your word has a remarkable ability because your spirit allows it to speak to everybody in this room in different ways. And so, so may you carry it into the hearts and minds of everybody here. Not just so that we can understand what it is that you're saying, but so that it would actually change the way that we live and how we view you and how we view one another. May it teach us how to love well. And so may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer in whom we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, and the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under a pot. That referred to people who would burn thorns, which burned very quickly. So is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than the beginning, and wisdom is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what has been made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these. The righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Now, if you're like me, first time I read that, I'll be honest, first several times I read that, it went right over my head. It, like I said, it's, it, it feels confusing, gloomy, a bit uh, random. And for that reason, again, don't forget the central point here. The reality of death teaches us wisdom for how to live. This is key. He even says it in various ways here. He makes statements like, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Or since death is the eventual reality for everyone, he says those who are alive, he, like, think on this. Take this to heart. Now, it's safe to say that we all want to live rich, full lives, right? But, but how, how can the house of mourning Teach me how to live. It almost seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Well, what wisdom can we gain from looking at our own mortality? Well, first, he says, the reality of death teaches us what matters most. And I wonder if perhaps he wrote this chapter right after attending a funeral. 
Because funerals do have a way of shifting our whole perspective on life. What kind of stories are often told at funerals? It tends to be, we, we tend to focus on the things that mattered most to us, to them. And I believe, I wonder if maybe if he was sitting in a funeral, he's hearing these stories and he's starting to realize, man, what am I treating as mattering most in my life? Because for one, he realizes that our internal character matters more than external image. He kicks off the chapter with a good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. A good name here refers to someone's character or who they are when no one is watching, who you are internally. A good perfume, though, tends to go hand in hand with makeup, dressing up, you know, putting on a good show or appearance, trying to impress other people. And on the day of our death, what will people talk about most? How good you smelled? How good you looked? Perhaps if they don't have anything else to talk about, right? But like what we tend to talk about is like how they treated other people, who they were, how they live. He's not saying in this verse that death is better than birth. But if you want to gain wisdom for living, a funeral can teach us a lot more than a birth. When a baby is born, that baby has all the potential for life, but hasn't yet lived. But at a funeral, you stop and look at the whole lifespan of somebody and how they lived. And we realize that in the, in the end, our character is what truly matters the most. Who we are internally matters more than how we appear externally. But, but what do we tend to spend more time on? What do we give the most energy and focus to? How we appear or who we are? Our culture glorifies, celebrates beauty. So we spend all kind of energy and money, you know, sculpting and tucking and dieting and impressing. Or we spend a lot of time online cropping and editing and enhancing the images of ourselves in order to, you know, impress anybody that we possibly can. But what energy or attention are we giving to being people who keep our word, who love others well, who are learning to live like Jesus? Because in the end, what will really matter? Our character or our image? But second, he realizes that gaining wisdom matters more than any amount of wealth. In verses 11 and 12, he says, Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing. And benefits those who see the sun, meaning those who are alive. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who, had it, who have it. In other words, he's saying money is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Let's be honest. If you get in, if your car breaks down, like mine did this past week. If you, get med- if you have medical problems, I got it fixed, don't worry. If a disaster strikes, like money protects you, kind of like a shelter, Right? It comes through. But if you had to choose which to pursue, would you go after godly wisdom over wealth? Or would you go after wealth over godly wisdom? Which one matters the most? Jesus even said, you cannot serve both God and money. 
In other words, does God determine what's wise to do with our money? Or does our pursuit for money determine what I think is wise to do with it? Do I seek to give generously, lend to those who are in need, treating my money as a gift, a provision from God to be spent as it pleases Him? Or do I clench my money or seek to spend it as it pleases me? And in the end, when it's all said and done, like what will really matter? Wealth or wisdom? Character or image? And so I can imagine he's sitting there in that funeral. Again, I'm not saying that's what he's doing. I'm imagining. Imagine he's sitting there in that funeral and he's starting to realize what really matters and what's truly worth living for. But then he realizes something else. And what is that? What other wisdom does Ecclesiastes realize that, that just the reality of death is beginning to teach him and what can it teach us? That the reality of death teaches us how to respond in our struggles. Whether you realize it or not, everybody in this room, you have a story. You have a story. And what's a part of every single real story? Struggle. Jesus said himself in John 16, he said, In this world you will have trouble. Big or small, we all face it, even though most of us are not looking for it. You know, when you can't pay the bills and your kids are fighting against you, you lost someone you love, you feel powerless to change something. In those moments, the pain, the doubt, the confusion, the impossibility looms large over us. And when those types of struggles get to us, that, that hidden side we don't really like about ourselves, that thing starts coming up. But Ecclesiastes says, hold up. If you're in the midst of a struggle, I want you to look forward as if you're at the end of your life. And I want you to look back and say, man, how do you wish you would have handled those struggles? Or if that's hard for you, like perhaps what would you want for your kids? What would you want for your grandkids? How do you want them to walk through those struggles? Well, Ecclesiastes concludes first, it's better to grow through the struggle than escape it. He makes this curious statement. He says, frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. What does that mean? Well, my dad used to say it like this. Whenever I was going through something hard, he used to say, son, go through it. He says, it'll put hair on your chest. <laughs> His way of saying, man, you will go through it. You're going to grow up. You're going to mature. And Ecclesiastes says a couple verses later, it says it's better to heed the rebuke, the hard word, the word we don't want to hear from a wise person than listen to the song of fools. Now, does Ecclesiastes think that laughter and singing is, is bad? Of course not. But he knows it's every human being's natural response when we feel pain to want to escape it. Like, I know working out and exercising is good for me, but I don't want to do it. Why? Because it hurts. Right? And when I'm feeling frustrated, anxious, afraid, angry, 
instead of facing it or asking why, I would much rather turn up the radio, watch funny videos on YouTube, or yell at other athletes on TV for not trying hard enough. <laughs> right? And Ecclesiastes would say, like, those are some ways we try to escape from it. But there's another way, too. He says, for some of us, we, we want to try to escape through nostalgia. Instead of growing and focusing on what God is doing in the present, we try to live in the past. And he says, why were the old days better than these? Isn't it funny how the good old days, like we don't remember any of the pain or struggle from those days. We just remember the good things. But when God turns up the treadmill in our lives or he adds some resistance, if we don't jump off, it causes us to to flex our muscles of faith, to learn to trust our God and grow stronger with him. Not all pain is there to harm us. Some is meant to grow us. And sometimes he puts godly wise people in our lives who say the hard thing to us, but it's because they love us and they want to see us grow. But oftentimes God allows us to face a struggle because what he's targeting is our pride. I know that's how I feel about this section. Now when life gets difficult, Pride is that uh, entitled attitude that says, I deserve better than this. And so when pride crops up, pride's like, I don't have patience for pain. Pride's like, pride gets angry pretty quick at struggles and obstacles or the hard words spoken to them because, like, this is undeserved. I don't deserve this. I deserve better. And so Ecclesiastes says, man, patience. Walking through that struggle is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Ouch. That hit home with you like it did me. Because so many times, my first reaction to struggle is to get angry, to blame, instead of actually leaning in to my God. And while the struggle is real, and we don't always understand why the pain is there, when we get to the end of our lives and we look back, so often we will see how God grew us through that, won't we? I can, I'm sure there are countless stories in this room of so many of you who you would never wish the pain of what you went through on anybody, but what you gained through that pain, you would hope for everybody. And at the end of our lives, the most valuable stories we tell are the ones of God's faithfulness in the struggle and how he led us through it toward a wisdom more valuable than gold. You see, as we reflect on our own mortality, the brevity of life, it gives us a new perspective for living now. 
And when we face the reality of death, it reminds us what matters most. And it motivates us to keep going, keep trusting God, keep leaning into him, even when you don't understand why the struggle is there. But as I see it in this passage, Ecclesiastes has one more vital piece of wisdom to pass on. And he says, the reality of death reminds us of who is truly in control. Bless you. One of the things, one of the reasons why I think I don't want to talk about death or even think about it is because it reminds me of how out of control I actually am. It reminds me that I can't actually determine the number of my days, nor can I predict the future. And after the events of this last week, it also reminds me that I can't control everything that happens to those that I love. I can't be there for them every moment. I can't guard them. I can't protect them. And I, that makes me feel like weak. And I don't like to feel weak. It makes me feel unnerved. And Ecclesiastes even admits, he's like, listen, I'm pushing the importance of wisdom over other things right now. But I have to admit, like, even wisdom can't help me predict the future. And wisdom can't make sure that I live forever. I can know everything, but that doesn't mean I can live forever. And when that reality dawns on us, we can try to cope with it in a couple of different ways. First, we may just try to distract ourselves from the reality of death in whatever way we want. You all know um, the movie director Woody Allen? I mean, most people, yeah, you know Woody. Um, He has this quote that just got me. Um, where he, he often called the reality of death, he referred to it as the abyss under his feet. And he said, in order to try to cope with that, he said, I would get involved in a movie which occupies all my anxiety. If I wasn't concentrated on distractions, I'd be thinking of larger issues. And those aren't resolvable, and you're checkmated whichever way you go. Isn't that exactly what we just said? Right? If, if, I, if I can't deal with it, I'm just going to distract myself and try to ignore it. I'm going to, as Ecclesiastes says, focus on my image, chase after money, go, try to go back to the good old days, or have a good old time, and seek whatever sense of entitlement. But it's all an escape. It's trying to ignore reality, change reality. Or, if we're not going to distract ourselves away, the, what some people might refer to as the religious way of trying to deal with it, when we realize we cannot control death, we may try to earn eternal life from God. This is why Ecclesiastes says, he said, one thing he started to realize is he says, the righteous people, those who did all the right things, he says, I saw them perishing in their righteousness. And the wicked, he says, I saw them living a long time in their wickedness. So that doesn't compute. I thought if I was righteous... God would help me live longer or have a better life. So he says, do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? What is he saying there? He's basically, the way I understand it, he's saying, why are you striving so hard to be perfect on your own? There's an approach to life called asceticism, which basically says we try to deprive ourselves of all pleasure, and we try to to do everything we can to try to perfect ourselves on our own. 
And he says, why are you trying to do that? Are you hoping to be good enough for God so that he will have to forgive you and let you into eternity? Isn't that just another form of us trying to control something? (laughs) Control God? And on top of that, why would we strive to achieve something Christ already accomplished for us? Man, the amazing news of Jesus that changes everything, both here and now, is that when we were unable to earn our way to eternal life, Jesus, in total control, came to us. And he lived a sinless life. Like I said, total control, sinless life. Yet, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In that climactic moment in history, when Jesus was on that cross, God placed all of our sin on him. And he said, and all who believe in him, all who trust in him, will in turn be clothed in his righteousness, meaning made right with God. And what this means is that the reason, the only reason we can have hope in death is not because of our goodness. Let me say that again. It's not because of your or my goodness, but because of what Christ has done for us. That when death was our destiny, Jesus died in our place and rose from the grave, not just to save us from eternal death, but to give us the gift of eternal life for all who would believe. We've never been in control of eternity. Never. But we have a God who loves us so much that he would rescue us and call us his own forever. And if we know that that's the God that is, and that's what he was willing to do for us, how much can he be trusted with our lives right here and right now? He deserves all of it. He gave everything. He deserves everything. And we see that death's reality can leave us scrambling for control or to the outstretched arms of Jesus. In this Memorial Day, death is more real for us. So instead of escaping it, what if we faced it? Will we feel sadness? Yes. But is there also fresh wisdom and a real hope there? Yes. Does it mean you have to think about it all the time? No, but we can't live trying to escape or ignore it. You know, on a couple occasions, I've had the honor of sitting with someone when they drew their final breaths. You know, those are sacred moments that I I can never uh, forget. And in that moment, though, no one cared what the person looked like. No one cared how much money they had, none of that mattered. The tears coming down everyone's cheeks were just a testimony of how much they loved that person. But I think the tears also spoke that we all know somehow deep down that death is not the way it's supposed to be. Yet we're all powerless to somehow fix this. But on both occasions... The people passing away, I knew, 
new Jesus. So alongside the sadness was also hope. And alongside the tears were also prayers and songs, not just to encourage the one passing away, but to remind all of us there of our hope too. The yes, death is the consequence of human sin and the fallenness of this world, but the gift of God through Jesus is eternal life. And all who believe and all who have trust in him, you have received that gift now by his spirit and you will live with him forever. And if you know him today, that's true of you. If you don't know him, if you don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, man, please don't go out of here. Don't leave today without talking to somebody about it. I would love to talk to you. Prayer partners up front would love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you. But this is, this is so important. This is our eternity we're talking about here. Please talk to somebody about what it means to know Jesus. But one day, you know, we're singing about promises two songs ago. One day he promises that he will return. And every tear, death itself, pain will be wiped away, will be a thing of the past. But until then, Ecclesiastes says, you know what? Hold on to the joy. Have your barbecues. Laugh. Watch the Celtics. But worship God above all. Right? Love well. Celebrate. But also find a way to remember that life is precious. Life is short. Life is a gift from our God. And as we do, we will remember to focus on what truly matters. To go through our struggles with him. And how to surrender to the God who is in control. That, Ecclesiastes says, is wisdom for living. Let's stand and pray with me. Jesus, I pray that your word would now move from our heads to our hearts. We thank you that you love us so much that you not only save us and call us our own, but that you're always working to grow us, always working to shift and, and teach us. That you're working not just on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, always working in our lives, seeking to grow us closer to you. So open our ears to what it is that you want to say to us. And what is it that you are saying to us? And for everybody in here, God, if there's something that stood out in this message, I pray that you will bring that to their mind right now. And show them how they can take a step this week of obedience, to, to live differently as a result of hearing your word. May you grow us, edify us, and remind us this weekend and all the days of our lives the hope we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.